0: Welcome to this week's podcast. My name is Mickey Badlamenti, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, we've modified our church schedule to help keep people safe. We currently offer on-site Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. with limited capacity, and we ask that you register ahead of time. Please visit www.rockpoint.org register before you join in person. That way we can save your seat. And we also live stream the 11 a.m. service on our YouTube channel. You can always find Rock Point on Facebook or visit the website for more information, including important schedule updates. And while COVID may have affected how we do church, it cannot diminish our efforts together to be the church. We look forward to connecting with you. Enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning on what's a uh, increasingly cool fall going into here a bit. Um, no real pressing announcements per se. There's some items probably that's available on the website or just keeping if you want to keep tuned to some things. Um, would want to draw attention before we go too much further to my one political statement for you uh, for the time here, okay, for today. And it comes in the form of a picture that was sent to me, and I do not know if these two individuals are Christians, but in my opinion, it's the most Christian uh, picture I've seen during this political season. So um, if you're tracking it there, you can see that it's a Trump supporter hugging a Biden supporter or vice versa. It's a black man hugging a white man, vice versa. That is probably the most Christian action I've seen all political season. Um, just as an encouragement point as you go forward, regardless of your positions or thoughts, uh, two things. One, be graceful. Two, It will soon all be over, okay? Um, Actually, I could get an amen on that one probably, but anyways. um, We would normally be receiving an offering at this time, and if you're here for the first time, we'd be telling you we don't expect you to participate in the offering. Uh, It's kind of like this. If you're dating someone, you don't give them your bank account. Um, If you're married, you should. There should be a blending of finances, and a coordinating together that should take place. But if you don't know each other, you're just dating, you don't do that. So if you're not a follower of Christ, you're still exploring those things, then your whole life is still up for grabs at that point. But for those of us who have committed, who have married Christ, then we recognize that everything we have comes from him. Every dollar, every talent, every gift, every breath. And so during times like this, as part of our worship, we don't just do things with our lips or just give lip service. We would normally also... Um, commit a a portion of what we have uh, as a recognition of his sovereignty, his rulership in our lives, as a recognition of what he's given us as an act of gratitude um, to further his work so others would hear and be in relationship with him. Those are all the purposes and part of the items that would be part of that. Um, But if you don't understand that stuff, don't worry about it. Uh, For those of us that do, uh, there's online giving, of course. There's still the uh, box at the back at the sanctuary as well as at the uh, information center. But before we get into the message today, I just want to take a moment and let's at least recognize that, okay? So, Father, we come before you, and we are grateful. Lord, you have um, given us so much in so many ways, and it's hard for us to remember that sometimes in the midst of all that's going on. And so, Lord, we take this opportunity out of gratitude to give back to you, to recognize that giving. We ask that the gift and the giver would be blessed. We ask, Lord, that these things would be used for the furtherance of your kingdom and for the encouragement of others. So guide us in these things even as we release them to you. And then, Lord, this morning I pray that you'd speak to us out of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, As a side note on that, uh, some of the enablement of that was even with uh, our friends uh, Miguel and uh, Karina. who work in Costa Rica and we're partnered with. They were here this past week or so, and we had an opportunity to talk with them, and because of the generosity here, we were able to provide a check to them to continue the work in Costa Rica. They've had a more difficult time than we've had even as a church. In Costa Rica, the church has been shut down almost entirely during this whole season. Um, But in the midst of this, they're still working in the barrios. They actually are starting to get a dental clinic together to minister to those who aren't able to afford it, so that's part of what's being done as well. This morning, we're continuing on in um, a series that was entitled The Long Way Home, and we're dealing with the Israelites in their journey from Israel, uh, rather from Egypt, to eventually get into the Promised Land, taking them from what were slaves to becoming warriors, from tribes to become a nation, people who didn't know God to knowing who God was. And today, I paused for a period of time in first, and I, I think I want to do that again, if you'll give me a moment here. Um, I'm not trying to do that for dramatic effect as much as I'm trying to, and I want to make sure that my tone And my approach to something that I think is extremely important is proper. We, before even the pandemic, but now particularly because of it, have been pushed into an environment as a church, meaning universal, that is driven before that, but even increasingly so by entertainment and by short attention spans. I have an empathy for those of you on live stream, and I understand that 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 may be a necessity during this time. I have an empathy because without being present, there's something that is missed, and I don't take away from what God can do through this communication where you're seated, but we rarely position ourselves physically or spiritually or emotionally as we do when we gather together communications and conversations like we're having right now become just another channel that can be switched or that we can fit into our time of convenience an hour from now, a week from now, however the case may be. But to be honest, before the pandemic hit, the church universally, in America at least particularly, was gearing towards this and has for some time. We want to be entertained. We want to be wowed. We want to know... How can following God and what are the secret, ancient secrets of the Scripture that can make us better spouses or more powerful at work or more effective here or richer or whatever the case is? And our attention span is just not there. And this conversation today is one of the central issues in the church that I think is increasingly is lost I mean, really is lost. And I literally pray and hope that you can stay engaged, whether you're present or whether you're a little more detached, unfortunately, through the live stream, to hear what is being expressed today. It is the core to me of what it means to be in the faith. The cross in the desert. So... We're in Numbers. Why is it called Numbers? Because there's a census taken at the very beginning of it, and that's why they called it Numbers. Um, Children of Israel, I'm jumping a little out of sequence, and we're going to come next week back to uh, what we skipped, which is that they actually approach, finally, uh, Canaan, and they send 12 spies in to check things out, and, and because of their report, they don't go in. We're skipping that for right now. We'll come back to that next week. Right now, instead, we carry a little further on in the 21st chapter, and they've been traveling. They bump into a group of Edomites, or the country of Edom, um, and they ask for passage. The Edomites say, no way. Uh, so they try to go a different route, and another group says, not only no way, but this group actively attacks them. Now, the good news is the Israelites get a victory over it. So it's, again, one more victory on their belt. They, they, they win in this battle. And so that's where we find ourselves in Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 and 5. The first portion is the battle. Now the battle's over. But still because of the battle and because of the Edomites, they can't take the more direct route into uh, Canaan. Um, So they have to actually backtrack. Maybe it's the backtracking. Um, Maybe it's just because it's gone on for a period of time. Whatever the case is, and it's kind of strange because they just had a victory. But whatever the situation is, we find in this passage saying that they travel around uh, to go around Edom. The people grew impatient on the way. Does anybody identify with impatience at all right now? Um, I think this is one of the most impatient times in our history as a people. So they grew impatient on the way. And they spoke against God and against Moses. And they said, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. Now, let's do a few things here. First of all, they detest this miserable food. What they were referring to there was the miraculous manna that came down from heaven. And so when this first provision is made for them, this miracle bread, this, this wonder bread, they're amazed. They're just like, this is, oh, thank God, praise God. They're just amazed. But it's been going on for a lengthy period of time, and now it had grown old. They had tried every variation of manna bread, manakati, whatever they could do, and it wasn't working for them anymore, Okay. And so they they are at this point in time, but you need to catch this. This is the wonder bread. This is the miracle of God's provision, but it's now this detestable food. We take too often the things that God provides for us miraculously, and we become accustomed to them. Then we begin to detest them, and then we begin to murmur against the very things that God has provided for us. We lose track of it in the desert. We lose track of it in the midst of pandemic and other circumstances. That wasn't really the bad part, though. I mean, that would be bad enough to uh, really, you know, attack God's cooking. But it it gets even more intense because in verse 5, the beginning portion of that, they said they spoke against God and against Moses. Now, in eight previous situations, they had spoken against Moses, which was really speaking against God because he was the spokesman for God. But... But they weren't brazen enough to really attack God. Here, for the first time, they speak directly against God. Not just against Moses, but directly against God. Um, This has a real impact on how God views what's going on here. And so they've crossed a line here. And so the next passage we have here in verses 6 and 7, the Lord sends venomous snakes or fiery snakes, another translation puts whether they were fiery in color or whether it was that the bite was um, particularly fiery, more likely. Um, They bit the people and many Israelites died and the people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord Uh, and and against you too, Um, but really it was against the Lord. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. Why does he afflict them in this way? He, he does this because they're, they're coming up, they're the closest right now that they've ever been to the promised land. If they can't sort out who they are as a people and as a covenant people in relationship with God, then either he won't go with them and they'll be defeated or he'll have to destroy them himself. Remember, this is the first time that um, God has resided with a people in any real present sense since the time of Adam and Eve. It's a unique circumstance. And being in that close proximity to holiness, there's certain things that have to be taken into account too. And they had not learned. They had not tracked things. Now, because of the failure to enter into Canaan the first time, that whole generation was supposed to die out anyway. So you probably had a couple of the older ones that were still sticking around. And that this took them out probably because they were not supposed to get anyways. Canaan was was no country for old men, um, according to the prophecy and conviction that had happened here. But some of the other ones as well, too. Now, the good news in this is they immediately have softer hearts, though, because they said we've sinned when we spoke against the Lord. So there's something of a repentant attitude that immediately acknowledges and turns to the things of God. And they ask not for a physical result or for some healing issue, but, but for God and for Moses to intercede for them with God. And that's the good news. But here's where it gets weird. The next verses say, the Lord says to Moses, okay, then make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it, on it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Now, earlier God had said, don't make any idols. So what's this? This kind of seems like a graven image. An idol. No, it's not. It's a symbol. It's not an idol. It was a symbol and it was to point to something else. Now, since this was the Bronze Age, this was what they had was bronze, and, and they, bronze is basically copper mixed with a little bit of tin. And so it gets kind of a reddish tone to it or so. Um, now, if those of you who are in the medical profession, we have a lot of people that are in that realm. Then you're familiar with the the Caduceus or with the Escapas rod. Both are drawn from, from ancient mythology and has a snake curling around a rod or so. These were earlier signs of healing or involved with medical usage. But the earliest imagery we have of this is found in this passage in Numbers 21. Nobody's exactly sure where the Caduceus or where these medical symbols were drawn from. We know they have linkages to those mythologies, um, but there's also a possibility they had linkage to this in some way. Now, bronze itself is used in Scripture to symbolize something that is stubborn, that's enduring, that's strong. You've got gates of bronze and other things like that. But it also means judgment. At one point in time, um, uh, God refers to the uh, to His judgment as as talking about the the the, the um, heavens turned to bronze because of His judgment about what's going on with uh, uh, with an area in place. So bronze has a lot to do with judgment, and as this snake is being made and being drawn together, this thing that represents something that is stubborn but also represents something of judgment, it goes even deeper because if we've been tracking earlier, as we talked about the tabernacle being established with the Ark of the Covenant, later the the the, 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 the temple in Jerusalem, it's, it becomes the same reflection. Then if you remember that, then you remember that the outer court area, you would be faced with um, Furniture made of bronze. The very first thing you would face would be the the bronze altar upon which the sacrifices were being made, those bloody sacrifices we talked about before. Then there was this bronze uh, um, gathering here that allowed for a pool of water for people to cleanse themselves before or after the sacrifice. So in the outer area, you had bronze. There's a specific reason. Strong, stubborn, judgmental. And it has to do with judgment of the fire of sacrifice and of the cleansing that's involved. It's only after that is involved that you're able to enter into the inner court area and it's eventually the Holy of Holies area, all of which has gold furniture or silver furniture, silver having to do with redemption, gold specifically having to do with purity. And so we find is that bronze is where judgment deals with sin. Only then can a person enter into the pure and holy presence of God. So this imagery of a bronze snake is very specific as to what's taking place here. Now, the healing that comes from that is significant. All they have to do is they have to look at it, and they'll be healed. There's, there's nothing they have to do. That's very important. There's nothing they do. They strictly have to look. They have to get come over to where it's at and take a look at it. If they stay in their tent and refuse to look, they die. But if they're willing to come out of their abode and look at that snake on this uh, pole that's lifted up, then it says that they're going to live. Now, there's a very specific reason for all this, but before we go there, let me take one quick sidestep here. The healing was so broad and people were so restored by this and it was so miraculous that the Jews decide they're not going to leave it there in the desert so they pack it up in uh, you know, plastic wrap and bubble wrap and they, they stick it inside the tent and they carry it along with them throughout the rest of their journeys. In fact, they carry it with them into the land of Canaan and they set it up as a visual aid. And so um, they would have this, this pole with this snake wrapped around it, and they would tell their children, see this pole, in fact, we're gonna give it a name, we're gonna call it Nahashtan, which means bronze snake. Okay, so we're gonna call it bronze snake. Not a lot of creativity in Israel in those days, okay? and we're going to call it in hush hushed hand, and, and we're going to give it as a visual cue. So, hey, listen up, kids in Sunday school. This is, this is what happened. This thing here, and Moses did this, and people who looked, and they were healed. And it wasn't that great God did this. It's a wonderful thing. Let's sing a song, and let's all go out. Somewhere, though, over a period of time, people stopped using it as an object lesson. They went further. They began to revere it. They began to light incense before it. The thing that was meant to be a symbol, never an idol, ever, meant to be a symbol, though, becomes an idol and so 700 years after the event hezekiah a faithful king comes along and has to clean up israel and he starts by breaking down the nahush and destroying it because it's now think of this the thing that god had used for blessing and healing had become a source of idolatry sometimes the way god's worked in our lives in the past We can cherish that and we can learn from that and we should never forget it, but it should not become so much an idol in our lives that it stops us from what new thing God wants us to do or that we hold on to the past and not embrace the future. In this case, this is what they had done and so they weren't open to anything else. So, as we we get all that into play and, and you've got this whole bronze thing being put up there And the people are being saved by it, and they're being restored by it. Having laid all that down, now I want to take you into the New Testament. And to do this, I want you to understand, if you understand the entire Bible at all, then you have to understand these two words about it. It's basically um, about salvation history. It's about the salvation of mankind and the history of how God's going to provide that. So from Genesis to Revelation... Everything linked through that process is weaving the pathway through multiple authors over hundreds of years' time on several different continents and languages to weave together the story of God's redemption or salvation for mankind. And so, if we look at that, then we can see maybe the connection here as we go along. Now, John 3.16. Everyone knows this passage of Scripture that's ever watched a football game, ever. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Okay? Or everlasting life, another translation. But because for the most part our society is increasingly um, illiterate, I'm not trying to be harsh with that, just stating a fact, as far as scripture is concerned, we don't understand the context of this. So you would have read this scripture or heard of the scripture so many times But if you were to stop for just a moment and pay attention to what comes before it, in verses 14 and 15, it says this, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, a snake made of what? Bronze. So the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Whoa! Wait a minute, this is going all the way back to the Old Testament, and and it's tying in where where Jesus is speaking here, but, but we're suddenly, whoa, our brain's way back. These events are linked. A bronze snake being lifted up on a pole, and it may have been that wraparound pole that we see with the medical signs, but there are others that think that it's very probable that it would have been wrapped around like this. A picture real quickly, we have one projection of this, that it would have been like that, or with that cross piece, I've seen more often where it's crawling across the cross piece, but either way, that it would have had a cross-type imagery to it. Remember the thing about the brown snake. There was no power per se in it, but when you looked at it, nothing you did but looking, and you were healed and restored. It was an act of obedience, more than it was any other action. Now, if we see John 3, verses 14 and 15, Moses lifts the snake up in the wilderness, and that leads us then right from that, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, meaning Jesus, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Those are directly linked. And then it goes on, amazingly, the next two, verses 17 and 18. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, through the one who's being lifted up. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in, believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. They've chosen to stay in the tent. They're not going to come out, no matter how many times they're called, whether we play the flute for them, whether we play a funeral dirge, whatever the sound is, they're not going to come out. They're going to stay in their tent, and so they're condemned already. This is the context of John 3.16. This is hearkening to the moment in the desert with this bronze snake. Jesus goes on in John chapter 12. Now is the time for judgment, he says, on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And then this, and I when I am what? When I am lifted up. When I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. And later in the passage, the the, the Jewish people talk about, well, who is this going to be lifted up? They knew he was talking about crucifixion. If I be lifted up, if I be crucified, saying this is the way he would die, and they knew what he was talking about when he raised that phrase, Then I'll draw them into me. This is a time for judgment. And so judgment is going to come. But the judgment isn't going to come upon you. It's not going to come upon you or upon me. It's going to come upon that which was lifted up. Bronze is a symbol of judgment. A serpent is a symbol of evil. But it's a symbol of bronze serpent of evil judged. judgment's coming on the world Jesus says it's a time for that and all of us should be dead in our sin but he says I'm going to be the one that's going to be lifted up I'm going to be taking that place I'm going to be the the, the figure of bronze that that type of judgment I'm going to take it upon myself 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing It's foolishness. This stuff is stupid that we're talking about. Right now it's foolish. You're not going to get any better at your job. You're not going to be a better spouse particularly per se. You're not going to have any more power or insight. You're not going to drive a better car, get a better house by listening to this today. It's foolish. It's as stupid as crawling out of my tent and looking at a bronze snake and thinking that's going to somehow heal me. But it did. Today, our attention span is so short. We are such a self-centered persons, people. From iMacs to iPhones to everything, It's all about us. And so, yeah, we look at this type of conversation today or these passages of scriptures and we say the, the message of the cross is foolish. To those who are perishing, those who are blind, to those who are deaf, to those who won't come out of their tent for anything, that continue to acquire and accumulate things that will never translate beyond this life. They're perishing. But to those of us who know right of our own, through no right abilities or insight of our own, through no ability, to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God it transforms us, it changes us, it heals us, it restores us. The message of the cross is central. If you understand the message of the cross and that we're all essentially broken and evil people that only are saved by grace, by not anything of our own, but simply by looking up and taking hold of that grace, then it changes how we think. I don't spew hatred at those that oppose me politically or even those who oppose me spiritually. I don't take things that come across my post and that I cannot absolutely verify as truth. I do not click and pass that on to somebody else to cause more damage and harm or confusion. If I understand the power of the cross and the broken society we're in and the grace that I have been given, or that you have been given, then it changes not just what we do in the light or online or in our politics or in our words. It changes what we do in the dark. And then, yes, those things do lead, I think, to better spouses, better people. But guys, not always to bigger houses and better cars and better jobs. The power of the cross... And the message of it is central. But to those who are perishing, it's foolishness. To those of us who are being saved strictly by his grace it is the power of God. Second Corinthians, the writer says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. First Peter says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And by his wounds, you have been healed and I have been healed. The prophet Isaiah, God speaks through him to us today and says, turn to me and be saved. All you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. In the time of COVID-19, of of racial tension, of political upheaval, where we don't know what's going to happen next and what's going to take place and where we're going with anything, one thing is immovable and should be at the center of the church, and it is not a donkey, it is not an elephant, it is a lamb, crucified on a cross. That stands at the center. If that fails to stand at the center of our congregation, we're not a congregation, We're a social club. We become an audience. We become something completely different driven by our appetites. But if the cross is central, if we understand the sacrifice involved, if we understand that that God calls us to the same sacrifice, Luke chapter 9, Jesus says to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Must deny themselves. What foolishness, this whole thing of the cross. how stupid to take a chunk of bronze fashioned into a snake and put it up on a how crazy that centuries later Jesus would reference that in the same way as saying when he'd be lifted up if people would just look on him and realize who he is that they could be healed Say how ridiculous all of that is And so our surrounding culture says, "And so we crawl into our individual tents and spiritually we die. But is it possible? Is it possible that there are still those in this time and place that would be so conscious of their wounds, so conscious? of the fire that burns through them and the pain and the heartache, the sin that bears them down and separates us from God. That we would step out of that place of our own privacy and step into the place where the cross is at and that we would see not that bronze snake, but one who bears the stubbornness Our own sin and and has judged for it on our behalf, and that we would see in that our salvation. That it would change how we approach things spiritually, that we'd be willing to be patient, to not complain, to think of how we interact with other people, given the grace that we've been given. That we'd no longer be stubborn. maybe for just some portion of time we could sit still long enough to get quiet to turn off the phones turn off the television and the stillness just to hear God speak to us again Jews over and over again kept stumbling and falling. And God over and over again was so graceful to them and so kind and gracious. The methods He chose were to correct, not to destroy. And that same thing is available to us today. Lord, this morning I pray, I plead with You that in this place people would hear Your voice. The Lord, those somehow even on the live stream that are so distant from this, so detached, that would penetrate into hearts and minds now, but but I can't speak to that. It's to this group here now, Lord, and that as we prepare our hearts for communion, that those who have never committed their lives to would do so now, and that those of us who have, that in this time of remembrance, that we would remember. whether it was a bronze steak raised up in the desert or a Passover meal, everything in Scripture points towards Christ. Towards a God who needs no one, but chooses you and chooses me, who has pursued us through the ages. So Jesus, after talking about being lifted up, He gathers with his disciples for that final meal, that Passover dinner. He breaks the bread and he passes it to his disciples and says, Do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget. So, Lord, this morning we look up and see you high and lifted, and we see your body broken for us, and we believe and we receive in Jesus' name. Amen, shall we? They took another cup and filled it with the blood-red wine that was the before. In a moment's time, everything would have flashed through the mind, the bronze that would have been the outer courts of judgment and stubbornness. Sacrifice made to be able to move into the purity and cleansingness of being before God. He raised it up and he said, This is my blood shed for you. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Without death, there is no just judgment. So, Father, this morning we stand in your grace, we stand by your grace. Lord, you've moved us from the outer courts into the inner place by your sacrifice. You've taken the stubbornness of the stain of our sin and wiped it clean. Lord, may we never, ever forget your cross, even in the desert times of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, shall we receive. God meant that bronze snake for a precursor of Christ's cross, and it met the needs of the people at that time, but they kept dragging it around for 700 more years until they turned it into some kind of weird idol. We're told that we're to carry our cross daily, that we're to deny ourselves, that we're to sacrifice for others That this is something that we're supposed to be renewed in on a daily process. Some of your greatest challenges, folks, may come after this election is over and how you engage other people. But whether it's an election or not, whether it's church, whether it's household, whether it's work, if the cross is at the center part of your life, if you keep coming back to that center point, then whatever else is swirling around you, this will keep you centered and keep you focused. And that's what it means to be the church. Don't lose sight of that. Discipline yourselves to the study of the word, to the gathering of one another, and to worship. Father, for those purposes have we come. And with that in mind, Lord, we leave this place and we continue on in the life that you've given us. Guide us, speak to us, I praise your church. And Lord, we lift up our nation. We know that in many ways we don't deserve it any longer, but Lord, we do ask that still... If you would pour out your grace, if you'd let there be a renewal and a revival within this country, Lord, of your spirit, this we pray, Lord God. We leave these things in your hands, and Lord, while we find this to be somber, facing our sin and facing this grace, Lord, there's also a celebration that comes from the release of the guilt and from the tension of all that, and we celebrate that as well. Thank you, Lord. We honor you and we praise you this day. In Jesus' name we pray, and the church said, amen, amen.